Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. This is a Literary Studies channel, and I'm Natalia Shpilova Said, one of the hosts. Today I'm speaking with Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. This is a Literary Studies channel, and I'm Natalia Shpilova Said, one of the hosts. Today I'm speaking with Wojtek Sava, a visual artist, film director, screenwriter, and the author of The Wall Speaks Voices of the Unheard. Uh, hello, Wojtek. Uh, hello, how are you? Um, well, I'm very uh, happy to have this opportunity to speak with you today about your project. And from our previous conversations, I know that this project involves more than just a book. And the book itself is very unique, not only in terms of stories, but in terms of the structure as well. But I invite you to tell us more about your project. Uh, it's a complicated project, a complex one, one that I was very deeply involved in for about five years or so, and still am. Uh, it's a project that grew out of a desire by some friends of mine who approached me to pay tribute to um, to people who um, were affected by World War II, Polish people who were, at the time of the war, teenagers or children. And since I'm a visual artist who specializes in participatory installations, uh, I wanted to take it in that direction. So I think there are a few things that, that are important to the nature of the project. And I'll start with the name. The project is called The Wall Speaks Voices of the Unheard. And uh, the title came about uh, as my wife and I were wandering around the beach in Florida trying to figure out you know, how to approach this, this project and what to name it. And I didn't want the title to suggest that it's specifically Polish. I wanted to create a project that speaks to the human condition. So, uh, just trying to find something that is characteristic about these people that I was interviewing and their story. And, and to me, the most prominent characteristic was that these people were as if behind a wall that they couldn't surmount, that there was a wall of silence, a wall of uh, basically people who didn't care about their story. Uh, so so I felt that, that even though they had undergone these fantastic, traumatic events in their life, which I thought were very enriching for others who might hear these stories, that these stories were being untold. And they were being untold because they, there had been enemies who invaded Poland in 1939, such as uh, Hitler's Germany and Stalin's Soviet Union. But then after the war, neither the United States nor Great Britain, which had been allies of Poland during the war, were interested in telling the true story because the nature of the alliance with the Soviet Union was such that they wanted to preserve, uh, 
present the Soviet Union's version of history rather than the factual version of history. So, so that's that's how the name came about. The Wall Speaks Voices of the Unheard, and and I wanted that title to be kind of a bridge extended to all people who have been in a situation where they had suffered trauma, but the forces that be were so powerful that they couldn't get their story out. To me, sometimes I compare this to a woman who was raped by powerful men, and they blame her, saying that you know her dress was cut too low, she was in the wrong place, she was dumb, and, and that story is never told because it might negatively affect the people who had perpetrated the crime. So... Uh so so that that is the genesis of the name of, of, of you know of, of the project. I just wanted to mention also coming back to the beginning that uh, that it was published by the National Center of Culture in Poland because mm -hmm. we didn't mention that. And um, um, so you mentioned that you interviewed um, uh, some people for this uh, for this uh, project. So who are those people? Do they live in Poland or do they live in uh, in the states or both? There were around 70 people that I interviewed. Uh, they lived predominantly in the United States. Um, I had traveled throughout the United States, uh, starting in Florida where I lived, but also going to places like, like Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Maryland, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Indiana, many places throughout the United States, but also in Poland. Uh, to collect these stories. It was a reflection of a personal journey. I didn't have a systematic approach uh, to gathering these interviews. Uh, I was, I like a certain amount of serendipity. I think it reflects, you know, the truth of existence. So I was very comfortable in having one interviewee directing me mm -hmm. to another or people calling me and saying, you know, there's this person you should interview. I did very, very little of seeking people out by myself. I was mostly directed from one person to another. And it was not difficult for me to find these people. It's a whole generation. I was also in a bit of a hurry, I would say. There was some urgency about this because these people uh, are very old by now. Right. They are either dying or they are becoming... Uh, it's becoming difficult for them to, uh, you know, to recollect their memories. So uh, there was an urgency to uh, to record these interviews as quickly as possible. And and a good number of the people that I recorded interviews with have passed away mm -hmm. now, among them my own father. So it, it tell us a little bit about um, uh, the people that you interviewed. Uh, what was their um, understanding of this project, how they took this project, whether they were emotionally somehow uh, involved. Uh, of course, they to some extent, they would be emotionally involved into this project, but what was that emotional response um, to this project that would ask them to recollect those painful memories? Right. Well, I think that's a very pertinent question. And, you know, I, I think I'm fortunate in the fact that my background is in film directing. So I've... Uh, I've, I've also conducted radio programs and radio interviews, so I have a good deal of experience interviewing people. And I think that's very important because for me, I, I think the most important thing is in interviewing people is making them feel comfortable, making them feel like they can trust the person 
who is interviewing him and that that person does not have an agenda of his own, but rather he's willing to listen to whatever it is, you know, that they want to tell the interviewer. So there's always a, a certain barrier of political correctness, of civility that needs to be crossed because people tend to tell you things that are uh, political or historical in nature rather than speak of their own experiences. I was not interested in political opinions or, uh, you know, a, a synthesis or an analysis of political events. I was very much interested in people recollecting their own life experiences. So I would tell them that, you know, if they can go back to that place, if they can feel the weather, if they can feel whether it was raining or sunshine or if they were eating candy or they were hungry, then, you know, then that would be taking us to the right place. And and I interviewed over 70 people. There are 28 people who are in the exhibition itself. And I, I think I was very, very fortunate to become friends with all these people. I, you know, I, I know them all personally. I've kept in touch with some of them, many of them. And, and I think it is very fortunate that they were able to go to that place, to go to that place where, where they relived that moment. Sometimes it was very dramatic. Uh, there is a woman in Sarasota where I live. Her name is Pistina Jevit, and she was uh, probably around nine years old during the Warsaw Uprising, the main city uprising, not the ghetto uprising. And, uh, and she was witness to what is called the Vola, it's a part of Warsaw massacre where the Germans killed close to 50,000 Poles in, in two days. And, and she was telling the story of running out of her building and, and having to cross over bodies, some of whom were still moving. Mm. And, and she broke down as she was telling this story. And, and she finished the story, but she said that she could no longer, you know, talk about this. Mm. And in fact, she didn't even go to the exhibition because it was, I think it was too raw. It was mm. still a very strong experience inside of her. So I think that speaks to the fact that, that as much as these people, uh, you know, want to get their story across, it's very difficult to relive, you know, the tragic moments. Not, not all moments are tragic. I, I have to say that I was very much open to humor. There is, you know, a, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of surprise. There's a lot of luck. You know, the, the thing is that, that these people are people who survive, right? And the great majority, majority of the people who are in their circumstance and in, in the very severe circumstances did not survive and they could not tell their story. So these are stories which are optimistic in that sense is because they made it through. I can think of another story where I, I interviewed this gentleman who was in a German uh, concentration camp. Uh, his family um, was, after the war, rewarded for being just among the nations uh, at Yad Vashem because they had saved some Jewish people from the ghetto. But he himself was, was also in, in a camp, and he was working in a kitchen. And... Uh, and even though one might think that he was working in a kitchen, that he would, you know, he would not have problem with food, but he did because, uh, you know, they were just, it was very 
minute meals and they had to share them with other people. So he was starving. He was essentially starving. And they had this big can of milk, a metal can of milk, that was propped up by a piece of plywood. And it was propped up because they were boiling water with tiny amounts of milk in it so it would look like milk. And one day, that board fell out because there was so much steam that it had separated and, and delaminated and fell on the ground. And it turned out that somebody had drilled openings inside of the plywood and there were gold coins that fell on the floor. And so the man picked up some of these gold coins and that's how he managed to survive the camp because he would, you know, buy food with these gold coins. So there were many instances of people being fortunate, you know, that fortune was was on their side. Uh, and and that was, a, it's, it's a collection of, I think, you know, fortitude and luck and, and wits uh, and tragedy and, and that, that kind of makes these stories so so human and, and so fascinating. So I feel very privileged to be able to, you know, talk to these people and, and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. And, and it was very enriching uh, for me and, and I believe also for the people who came to the exhibition. Well, there is uh, one concept that uh, this project emphasizes, and this is the concept of personal history. So would you uh, speak about this concept, uh, personal history, and how personal history probably reshapes our understanding of history, which is probably supported by uh, some official institutions? Yes, I think that that is a very relevant issue. It was something that, that was my guiding light, in a sense. Uh, I was concerned that if I tried to tell the story of the Polish experience through numbers, statistics, uh, you know, kind of an overview of of the national experience, it's always going to be subject to accusations of being propaganda, of the truth being selective, etc., 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 and I felt that, you know, as an artist, as a storyteller, I felt that it's much more convincing and much more involving to hear personal stories because they're very complex. Our enemies, there are many stories in which, you know, the same Germans who were killing thousands of people, some of them were actually helping Polish people survive. Uh, the same for any antagonism could be, you know, even on the Polish-Ukrainian front, the same stories were true. Some were helping, some were killing. Uh, same thing with the Soviets. So, so I think those instances where the stories became so complex and so multifaceted, uh, unpredictable in some sense, greatly benefited this sense of their credulity, you know, that, that they were true stories. And the way that the exhibit was set up, it was definitely set up to be a, a personal experience of one person meeting another person. So so the whole visual construction was that it was a, a forest of people, essentially, or a crowd of people that were presented through photographs that were printed on mesh and these photographs were attached they were slightly bigger than life-size very narrow and and they were attached by fish line 
So they appeared to be floating in the air. So there was this certain sense of juxtaposing a documentary feel because these were real photographs with something very ethereal, spiritual, almost like these were ghosts from the past that we were walking amongst. But then the viewer next to each photograph hangs a, a life story printed on very delicate fabric. And the, the, my, my aim, my goal in doing it that way was that I wanted literally for the viewer to approach a single person, take their story into his own hands or her hands, uh, feel how delicate that fabric is. Uh, it only takes a second to kill somebody, but you know, a, a story is extremely powerful. So at the same time, we're speaking of the frailty of, of our human condition, but also the immense power of our will, of our persona, of, of these people who had gone through all these experiences and, and survived and, and thrived afterwards. But, but the viewer had to take that story literally into his own hands and, and she had to, you know, she had to, to, to hold it and read it. And uh, I used the, the bi biographies uh, for for a few reasons. I wanted uh, I wanted this this individual approach to everyone's life, but I also wanted to tell kind of the geographical story of what happened to to Poles in World War Two. Because for most Americans or people who are un uninvolved, when they think of war. And Poland, they think of, you know, Polish territory. But the, but these life stories serve to show that, that these children and teenagers were displaced. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands were displaced, forcibly displaced to Siberia, from which they, uh, after their liberation, they went to Iran, Iraq, Palestine, Egypt, Italy. So it was a very, it was an exodus. It was, it, it was a very meaningful peregrination. And there was another, another track that went through with retreating Polish armies through Romania and to France and then into Great Britain. So there are many different, uh, localities where, where these people were taken, including places as far away as Africa and India and Australia and Mexico, something that just seems inconceivable in connection you know, with World War II experience and, and Poland. So that, that was also important to me. I also wanted this, you know, this face-to-face -face where, where the viewer would come and would actually look into the, into the protagonist's eyes and, and, and meet with that single person. When I was training docents at the Florida Holocaust Museum, they asked me, you know, how does this exhibit work with teenagers with children and I said I really don't know because prior to there I had never shown it in an environment where you know high school kids or middle school kids would come to see it but I would meet with these docents you know every couple of weeks to you know go over new things and I asked them and they said you know this is a wonderful exhibit for children because they can pick their own <laughs> track through the exhibit mm -hmm. they can pick their own person and go to this one and then go to that one and they can feel the bricks and they can touch the glasses and and you know feel the fabric so so it gives them this freedom of not just following a linear 
uh, track, but just picking their own path. So um, this exhibition uh, took place in different places, in the States and in Europe. And where did the first one take place? The first one took place at the Northeastern Illinois University in Chicago. Uh, I had cooperated with uh, the art department, the psychology department, sociology department, the music department. I wanted to kind of make it into an interdepartmental um, event. And there was a conference, Art Against Violence. And and this show was chosen to represent that, that concept. So... So I, I felt very, um, I felt it was very useful in, in that context because it allowed me to uh, to see how viewers react. It was actually like the first, you know, my first meeting with viewers, and I also was able to hold workshops with that were open workshops. So they were for students, for professors, for and with and from these different fields, you know, like psychology, sociology, history, and art. So, so that was uh, that was very fortunate because because I I believe that it's very important not to put these uh, to put knowledge or experience into compartments, mm-hmm. but but to have it inter- in a, presented in a way where they cross you know where they are crossing each other, where history meets with art, art meets with psychology. So, so that was a very fortunate circumstance for that. Uh, do you know if any of your interviewees attended uh, these exhibitions? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, there were quite a few of them who attended the exhibition at the Florida Holocaust Museum uh, in in St. Petersburg because many of them were flor- from Florida, so they were able to come. Uh, also in Poland, uh, I know that, that some you know some of the people who who were. Mm, Sean in the exhibit had had come uh, to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was. This might sound strange. <laughs> I think it was very moving for them and 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 gave them a sense of 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 maybe a certain sense of satisfaction that that they in fact exist. You know, beyond their own private story. But I do think that in some sense they realized and we all realized that in the wider context it was no longer about them. <laughs> it, was, mm-hmm. it was about the people mm-hmm. who came to see mm-hmm. the exhibit. And 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 I don't know if this I'm if I'm making this sound right because yes of course it was about them. They were you know they were the the spring and, and, and the context but but I think they were also aware, many of them, that what is happening is that there are people coming to see the exhibit from, you know, middle school kids to, to, to professionals uh, who had no idea about this experience. Mm-hmm. And, it's you know, people would come to me and they would say, uh, oh, my God, this completely changes my view of the Holocaust. I had no idea that there was a story like this, that there was another story that they had never heard of. So I think in that sense, the viewer, the, the, the participants, uh, the protagonists also realized that, that they had become part of a, of a broader message, that they weren't, you know, that they were representing their individual story, but they were also representing the story of, 
of people whose voices have not been heard, as, as the title suggests. And, and to me, you know, one of the most important aspects of this show and this whole experience was the, was the participatory element of it. And, and the way that it was conducted was that under each photograph, there was a brick, a, a real heavy brick. And, and the brick had an inscription on the top side of it that spoke of actions undertaken by governments against the Polish people. So it would be, for example, Germans who wouldn't allow Poles to study beyond fourth grade or who, you know, had a, a something called, for example, intelligence action, where they wanted to kill off, off all the Polish intelligentsia, but also... You know, Americans like President Roosevelt, who would not let news of the Cotting Forest Massacre where 20,000 Polish officers were killed by the Soviets, he would not let that come out into the public eye. Or the British wouldn't let, uh, you know, a statue to the Cotting Forest um, victims be erected as late as the 70s because they didn't want to irk the Soviets. So, so these were institutional actions taken against the Polish people. And, and, I asked the viewers to pick up a brick and walk around the exhibit with the brick in hand to feel the burden, to feel the weight of what it is like to to be subjected to horrible treatment and and not to be able to talk about it and for the world not to know anything about it. It's, and not only that, but sometimes have a completely misrepresented negative version of what had happened to people. So so I asked the viewers to walk with these bricks in hand and then as they finished negotiating this forest of characters and the photographs, they would come up to a wall. And the wall had a hundred openings. It was a steel plate and there were a hundred laser cut openings that were same size as the brick. And I would ask the viewers to turn the brick and on the bottom side there was a blank uh, piece of vinyl that they could write on. And and I asked them to share their own experience. If they had their own experience of being traumatized, of being marginalized, being, being you know, spoken ill of, I asked them to, and not being able to share that story, I asked them to share the story on the brick. And therefore the wall became not a wall of the past, but a wall of the present. And, and it was a very moving, and a very humbling experience for all of us connected with the exhibition because there were hundreds of entries and there were, you know, some of the most moving, I guess, were, were kids who, you know, just dozens and dozens of kids who were sexually, who spoke of being sexually molested, of being abused, of, of women who were mistreated, you know, of children who were mistreated by parents who were drug users, uh, kids who were bullied, uh, immigrants, uh, you know, members of the gay and lesbian community. Um, just just this, this kind of uh, a picture, a compendium, you know, of today's illnesses, of, of society's traumas. And... And, and I think what, what the museum, uh, director and other, you know, people who worked in the museum and I had found so touching was also the fact that, that people would communicate with each other on the bridge. So somebody would write, write about a bad experience and somebody would write on it, 
don't worry, we love you. <laughs> you know? So it was, there was a conversation going on, and people felt safe. And you know, to me, it was it was a blessing that that there was a that there was a, a space created that that was safe. That that kids and other you know and adults who never who had never before felt that they could share these traumatic experiences felt that that it was okay for them. And I think that was because once they read the stories, you know, of the Polish children and teenagers, how how badly they were treated and that they came out and and they had a professional life and a family, I think many of, of these viewers felt, well, if they lived through this and they came out okay, then it's okay for me. And they shared their story, it's okay for me to share my story and, and, and I think many of them found that liberating then was a relief for them to be able to to share. So so I think that kind of built a bridge between the past and, and, and the present and shifted the focus so it was not just on the experiences of World War Two, but it was on the experiences of the voices of the unheard today. Yeah, I think that uh, your project really embraces and involves all kinds of narratives, which eventually work in a very complex, as you mentioned in the beginning way. Uh, for example, starting with the interviewees, um, they start sharing some personal memories and some personal stories, personal narratives that eventually become public. And then that kind of uh, maybe intimacy disappears uh, to some extent, but it involves into something different and into some different experience and where people can feel some connection between each other and um, share some understanding and compassion uh, uh, to, to some extent and uh, um, move on not only with their traumas but also to somehow um, um, somehow uh, develop this kind of uh, experience further and this kind of uh, uh, communication with those who were traumatized or with those who were not traumatized but just uh, uh, to give some kind of uh, um, um, guidance um, under these circumstances and in, in these uh, experiences. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think having shown it in different places and seeing how people react in different ways, it was still, I think, this aspect of, of kind of biting into and linking into that old story with the story of today. When I was showing uh, the exhibition in, in Detroit Hamtramck, uh, I had a whole building at my disposal and first floor was, was the Wall Speaks Voices of the Unheard exhibition. Second floor was an bank building that was being renovated, restored, and the upper floor had not been restored yet. So it kind of looked like a war zone, you know, where people ran off and left their things behind and was plaster coming off the walls. and and. I met a wonderful artist, Syrian-American artist, whose name is Ilham Mahfouz, and we decided to do a second exhibition devoted to the children of Syria. And so, so in that way, we used that space as a space similar to spaces, you know, in Syria where people leave their, you know, their buildings behind. And we showed photographs and 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 Ilham's. Uh, sculptures and paintings and, and just regular artifacts. And, and that also, I think, uh, created this connection 
between the past and the present in the sense that the same um, same type of kind of disregard for for human experience and and for for allowing people to share their story that was you know displayed or exhibited during World War II and afterwards is still going on whether it be in Syria or in Yemen or in Palestine or you know many many other places so um, you know so 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 that that was an example of hooking up I had again many high school uh, teenagers coming and and they were there were kids from Syria from Yemen from uh, Bangladesh and and I think it was moving for them to see that there were other people displaced like they were and that in the end they were able to tell their story. We had a Yemeni evening that was organized by Yemeni kids. They came to me and they asked me if they could do, you know, like an evening devoted to their experience and, 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 and we did we did that also. I just wanted to mention, you know, that that I'm extremely grateful to people I had worked with along the way. For example, the the Florida Holocaust Museum. They were extremely gracious and just wonderful, wonderful people in working with me and, and I think very brave also in allowing a different narrative than the one that we all know about that in some sense shocks some some observers and and I think it was very it was very brave of, of them to to welcome this exhibit in. And, uh, you know, and, and just as far as the Detroit uh, experience, Hamtramck experience, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also very happy that I was able to connect with the Muslim community there, uh, you know, because so many of them are, are, are in, a, in, in a very precarious situation, their families, you know. So, so that was very fortunate. And, and it's all about dialogue, you know. We had, like, at the... And community and inter interaction at the at the Detroit Hamtramck show, we had two events or three events every week for for three months. So, and some of them were, for example, uh, directed by what's called the the Muslim Jewish Council of Detroit. So, so, so there were you know we were trying to connect people across lines and 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 kind of demonstrate that that these experiences are shared by all. Yeah, and your project made me think about uh, all those intricate ways in which memory works. Um, because, well, on the one hand, your project contributes to maintaining this memory alive. On the other hand, it gives birth to some other memories, which like uh, generate which are generated around those uh, past memories or past recollections. But still, there is some new uh, experience that is being developed. However, while maintaining that very um, delicate connection with the past, but it, but it's never stay it, it never stays the same. However. No, and, and you know, and I, I think that's also very fundamental because it, it's like if I were to interview somebody and and he wasn't just reading off a page, but he was really getting into the experience. You know, the same story would be told differently, right? Because we access different you know pieces of our memory and go into different moods, and and we there are different accents. So, so I think it speaks, and, and also, you know, you visit an exhibit and almost every time you go there, you can focus on a different, different part of it. 
uh, and and it's that interaction with you know with the local community on many facets that I think is very important. And I try to make my both my exhibits and and whatever connected events. Uh, I try to make them kind of multi-sensory, and and you know, and I try to make them address the mind in in, in different ways. So, for example, one of the events we did in in, in Hamtramck was. Uh, Holodomor event that we did with the Ukrainian community, and we had, uh, you know, we had a Bandura player because I think uh, there is something very lyrical and delicate that that is strongly juxtaposed with the images of hunger and, and death, and 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 I think it's always important to show that people are human and that they're magical and they're wonderful, and and even in the most uh, horrible circumstances, sometimes they can retain those values of humanity that can be a, a light on, onto, you know, us who come after. I wanted to ask you if uh, this exhibition is still active, if, uh, for example, somebody's interested in uh, attending this exhibition, if there is such a chance to do that? The exhibition is uh, active but dormant mm -hmm. at this moment. I am, I have to say, I'm a little exhausted with, mm. after having worked on this for, for five years. So I'm not really actively pursuing uh, new places to show it at. Uh, however, you know, that might change within a few months if I feel like, uh, like I want to push it some more. Uh, I do, uh, I do enjoy and, and I think I find it sensible to you know, to visit different universities and just show a, a, a fragment of the of the exhibition and, and, you know, just talk about installations, talk about the process of history and art, how that meets together and and, and, and bring that to, you know, to an audience. I, I enjoy doing that. But on the other hand, uh, the published version of the project is very helpful in this sense as well, because, well, what I noticed about the book, of course, it contains uh, those um, personal stories and there are contributions which are made by either uh, researchers or workers in the museums, and there are no pages in this in this book. So was that intentional that you didn't include pages? Or... It was. I'm not sure I would do it again, but... <laughs> But it was, I wanted, you know, like I mentioned, this certain experience of, of serendipity and happenstance, and and I'm not a fan of, I don't mind things being linear as long as there's more than one stream of, mm -hmm. of linear narrative. And, and that's difficult to do in a book. It was a challenge for me to put this book together because I'm so used to working in space and visuals. So so this, this concept of absolute linear narration you know, one page after another was was a was a challenge for me. Uh, but uh, but I wanted it to be kind of an album where people can just flip some pages and and you know hook into this, hook into that. That was my original concept. I think if I were to do it again, I would probably have a a, a, a clear delineation of chapters, maybe not pages so much but like when you open the book there was a way where you could you know go into different mm -hmm. different uh, aspects of you know or some are interviews and some are parts of the exhibition things like that I might have that more clearly delineated 
Well, uh, reading uh, reading this current version, uh, I was fascinated by all those opportunities with which I was provided in terms of uh, finding my own way in the story and constructing my own my my own story. So thank you for this um, creative approach to structuring the book. And uh, um, what's your current project? I am currently working on a, on a couple of, of projects. Uh, uh, I, I've been somewhat um, restrained in my activities because my mom, which is you know, we just celebrated her father's day. She's 91 years old, and she requires a bit of care. And it's uh, it's more way more difficult for me to travel, so I've had to kind of scale down on. On some projects, I was working on a project about Yemeni children and their experience with a gallery in Toronto, but but that's been kind of put on hold. Uh, I am working on. Uh, I'm hope, hoping to come back to some of my movie uh, uh, ventures, and I want to do some kind of intimate, private, you know, um, videos. Uh, um, I'm also, for a number of years, I've been working on a project which has to do with numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call it uh, Talking to Numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's a result of a vision I had in a dream. And, and I've been pursuing my conversation with numbers for more than 10 years right now. So I'm searching for the best ways to, uh, to present that to, to other people. Uh, so I'm working on an installation which is called, it's called Four, and it's essentially a rectangular poem. It's a poem that is, uh, presented in the, in the format of, of 144, 144 squares, uh, on a rectangular pattern, and it can be read in any which way. So it's a different form of narrative based mm-hmm. on the structure of Four. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on that also, and then I'm working on a on a project uh, you know that that you know of uh, that I mentioned to you, which is called the Other Europe, uh, and I'm trying to promote art, culture, and the presence of countries of Central and Eastern Europe, which I believe have been marginalized and misrepresented, omitted uh, by Western culture for a very very long time. And frankly, I'm fed up with it. <laughs> and, you know, I would like for, for these cultures to have their day. I w- I'm very upset that, for example, if my son or his children, if they watch American or Western television, they will be very, very, very hard-pressed to find a protagonist, a positive role model, male or female, who is of Central or Eastern European origin, you know, will mm-hmm. most likely be presented as... I don't know, religious fanatics or conservatives or, or simpletons or brutes. Uh, and people have such a lack of knowledge about, you know, the history of, of Poland or Hungary or, uh, Czechia or Ukraine, you know, that, that it's disturbing. It's disturbing. And, I, and, and, and so my project deals with uh, hopefully organizing, you know, concerts, movie showings mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature to, to promote that culture. And in a sense, I feel it's almost like too big, too wide for me as an artist. It's more for, a, I don't know, for, you know, for a promoter of social events. But 
but since I feel a need, I'm, <laughs> I'm pushing onwards. <laughs> well, I wish you good luck on all these projects. And uh, again, thank you so much for this printed version of your project, The Wall Speaks. And uh, it was very moving. And uh, it's sometimes it's painful to read because the, uh, um, the stories are really very uh, touching. But like we uh, mentioned today earlier in this conversation, it's important to maintain this kind of connection between the present and the past. Uh, and again, thank you uh, for this effort to maintain these dialogues, not only between generations, but between cultures and time and across time and space. Thank you so much, Wojtek. Thank you. It's very rewarding. I just wanted to say one more thing before, before we finish, that even though most of these stories are stories of war and trauma, it was pleasantly surprising to me that many viewers came out of the exhibition with a sense of kind of renewed faith in the human experience and, and they did not come out of there with a sense of defeat or with a sense of, of dejection. And uh, again, thank you so much for this printed version of your project. It's a real pleasure.